Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And we are going to uh, look at the Passover this morning. Uh, but before we jump into it, I want to just tell you a quick story. Um, when Kimberly and I were in seminary, we went to seminary together, even really before we were married, uh, we were at seminary. She was studying one thing, I was studying something else. And uh, and we went to this church called Mount Vernon Baptist Church. Uh, Shannon Scott, still the, still the pastor there. And it's been a minute, I'm just saying. Uh, and... Uh, and we and he, he the pastor approached me. He's like, I know you're a seminary student. We have this ministry in the nursing home. Would you go and preach uh, at the nursing home? So it was like right after church or right during the church time. And so we were on a rotation with seminary students. And so I went and I said, sure. And uh, and so I kind of had my I had like probably two sermons in my in my chamber at that point. You know, it's kind of like these. I'm either going to preach this one or this one. That's all I got. Right. Those are like the. So I, I took my my silver bullet sermon and. And I, and, uh, and I went and I preached, and I was done probably in like 10 minutes. It's like, what happened to that, Drew? That's what you're asking. And, and so I was done like in 10 minutes, and, and, uh, and the, you know, everyone was very appreciative, and you know, the, the senior adults would just kind of love on you, and you're like, this is great. And then, it, and then I was about to leave, and like, oh, no, no, no. No, this is just one wing. There's four wings. Oh, four wings. Okay, yeah, sure, no problem. I got all kind of time. I'm good. But here's the thing. Each wing progressively uh, got uh, more with regard to memory loss. And so by the time I got to the fourth wing, uh, they, uh, they, I would stand up and would, and would begin my, my sermon, and no one was paying attention. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm talking, I'm ready to start. And they're all like, who's this guy? Was just, they just went about their business. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay, well, I've got to do something to get their attention. And so the nurse who was there, she's like, they love to sing. Just pick something to sing. I'm like, but I don't sing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just pick something to sing. And so I got a, a hymnal, and, and, I'm, and like Kimberly and I just kind of flipped through, and we we're like, you know, okay, we'll do. And we picked one or two that, that we kind of knew, and we sang them nothing. And then uh, we just randomly picked the third song, and I was like, at this point, like, I'm, like, I was so frustrated. I'm, like, sweating. Like, nobody's listening. Like, nothing's happening. And I'm, like, freaking out. And, and this one lady kept, like, walking up, to, like, really close and, like, staring at me like this, you know, while I'm talking. And it was just, it was just chaos. And so I picked out, I was like, Kim, we got to, we got to do something. So I just picked a song, and it was, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And I'm like, let's just sing this one. And we started singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, and the room went quiet. Everybody started, started looking at me. And you could just tell there's something going on in there, and something started to click. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh. And everybody started to sing. Everybody started to sing. And it was like God's, and if it were a moment in time, those people in that room went back 50 years probably in their, in their head. And in that moment in time, they remembered Jesus. They remembered what he meant to them. And they remembered the relationship that they had with them at that time. And so when we sing, for a moment in time, we get to enter into a very special time where we sing God's praises. And we remember that relationship that we have with him 
and what he means to us. We should never enter into a worship service casually, right? As though this is just one of a thousand other worship services we could be a part of that we have to go to check the box. We get to enter into the presence of the Lord. And you may not even realize it, but you are ministering to the person next to you or someone in the room when you sing out, Oh, how I love Jesus. You say, Oh, but I don't have a good voice. Doesn't matter. Oh, how you're just singing out because that's ministering to their soul. It's so, and, it's, and it's not just, it's so deep within us. Music drives so deep. It drives so to the heart of who we are. I just wanted to share that. I hadn't planned on sharing that, but every time we sing that song, Oh, How I Love Jesus, I'm, I go back to that early start of my ministry, and I'm like, Lord, thank you for that moment in time, that moment in time that helped me understand what this means. So, let's get to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, before I get all emotional on you, let's get to uh, Exodus chapter 12. At this point in the story of God's people, they have experienced the plagues, right? Last week we introduced the Nile to blood, and then in the meantime, uh, they've experienced other plagues. They've experienced the gnats and the frogs and darkness, and all of those things, all of those things attacked the gods of Egypt. So you had the gods of the Nile, you had the gods of the land, and you had the gods of the air. And each of those plagues showed that God was the most powerful, He was the one true God. But then we get to the last plague. The plague, the death of the firstborn. And what we discover is that God is going to give his people some very important instructions. Because you see, they're going to experience this plague just like everybody else. All the other Egyptians, from afar, they were able to sit back in Goshen, and as they lost their cattle, they kept their cattle. As the frogs attacked them, they had no frogs. As the gnats attacked them and the locusts ate their crops, they still had all their stuff. They were completely safe. But by the time you get to this last plague, Moses is very careful to tell them, listen, this is important. You have to understand. You have to follow these instructions. Because if you do not follow these instructions, you, like everybody else, are going to experience this last plague. Wrath was coming, and he would come to the door of every household. Hebrew, Hebrew Egyptian, didn't matter. It would, look, it would look upon the door, and it would see something. We're going to talk about what it was that it would see in just a moment. But it would come to the door, it would see something, and it would either choose to go in, or it would choose to go to the next house. It was a choice. The truth is, is that the Hebrews deserved God's wrath just as the Egyptians, their oppressor. This is one thing I want to lay out for us to understand. Because we would say the Hebrew people have been enslaved for, at this point, 430 years. Recently, they've had their work like doubled with the whole no straw. They got to go get the straw and make the bricks. And it's, their life was incredibly hard as though because their life was difficult they got a pass as though because they had to go through some some very difficult times or they grew up in a very difficult situation that somehow God would just pass them because of that that's not true in fact there's let me I'm gonna give you three reasons why God's people the Hebrew people the oppressed people deserved God's wrath just as the Egyptians did 
first off. When God came to the uh, Hebrew people, he sent Moses and with Aaron, and he had a specific message, and he's like, this is what God says, and he, remember he had the three signs, you throw the staff down, it becomes a snake, you put your hand in the cloak, it becomes leprous, uh, and then you take the water and turn it to blood, right? Those were his signs that he gave God's people. But then they had these unexpected consequences, right? We, we talked about that. They thought life was going to be good now that God was kind of on the scene, but that's not what happened at all. In fact, it got much harder, and so look what they say. In, they say, the Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You've made a sword in their hand to kill us. They didn't believe God's word. They didn't follow his prophet. They just, they didn't listen. They were hard-headed. And then... In Joshua, this is this Joshua 24, 14, a little bit later in the history of God's people, reflects back on this time, and it tells us a little bit about what's going on. Look what it says, Joshua 24, it says, Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Even though they were uh, had all these plagues, they still worshipped the same gods that the Egyptians worshipped. They had, were not truly worshipping the one true God, or they were trying to worship God and then also hold on to these idols at the same time. And it, by the time you get to Joshua, he's saying, look, you guys got to quit. Stop. So they're worshiping false idols. And then the third thing is that they were descendants of Adam, just like the Egyptians were descendants of Adam. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam. Adam brought sin into the world when he partook of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter if you're Egyptian or Hebrew or, or of this people or of that people or if your life's going great or you're a slave. All those things don't matter. What matters is, is what have I, what have I done with God? All right, and that's what we're going to look at today. And so... Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for your word, especially Exodus chapter 12 and the story of the Passover because it helps us to understand our standing with you. And Lord, you have done something so wonderful from very beginning of history throughout all of time until we get to today. There is something so wonderful and miraculous that you have done for us who have sinned against you. And Lord, I pray that you will help everyone to understand by the time we're done looking at your word this morning that we'll be able to take that, understand it, and apply it to our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that we see from Exodus chapter 12 is that God, God's people needed a way to cover their sin. The Bible calls it atonement. They're, they've sinned. They are sinners. They need some way for that sin to be covered or atoned for. And so then we have this introduction of Exodus chapter 12 verse 6 verse 1 the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt this month shall be for you the beginning of months everything starts right here like this is the beginning this is the beginning it shall be the first month of the year for you tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses a lamb for a household and if the household is too small for a lamb then he is to get their nearest neighbor 
shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall make it from the sheep or from the goats. Take it from the sheep or the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. God is providing a way for their sin to be covered or atoned for. He provided a way for their sin to be covered in the form of a lamb. In the form of a lamb. You see this again and again and again throughout the Bible. This idea of a lamb. And so, the lamb had to be without blemish. It was about a year old. This lamb would be a substitute for them to cover their sin. It would be perfect. And it had to be their best. It could not be blind or diseased or injured in any way. It had to be a perfectly good, healthy lamb. In 1 Peter 1.18, it says this. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways. Our feudal ways are our sin. How is it that we are saved from our feudal sinful ways? Inherited from your fathers, from Adam. Adam all the way down. We inherited this sin nature that we have. Not with perishable things like silver and gold. We're not redeemed. We're not bought back. We're not saved by money, something far more precious, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Jesus never sinned. He never did anything wrong, ever. The perfect lamb given in sacrifice was to point them to a Savior who would never sin. This, this meal that would take place, this annual event, would be from the beginning here in Exodus would point all the way through history all the way till Jesus when he arrives and he would die on the cross all this was pointing to Jesus and so they're given some instructions we have this substitute and so they're giving instructions about what's gonna happen on that night of the Passover then they shall take the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat of it, or shall eat it. Do not eat of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. And anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, and your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I shall pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's the blood from the lamb and its slaughter that was brushed on the doorpost of the house. They were to go inside the home and not come out again. Don't come out. You slaughter it. You go inside. 
You put it on the door, you go inside, you don't come back out. The lamb was to be slaughtered, not butchered, slaughtered. It wasn't cut into pieces. It was, in t it was to be kept whole. If they boiled it, it would fall apart. In any other way, you roast it. You put it on the grill and you roast it. And you, in you consume the entire animal. So if you and your family of four can't eat the whole thing, then you need to invite your neighbors over and you celebrate the Passover together. We don't waste it. The entire animal is to be consumed. And if it was too much, you ask people to join you, and whatever's left, you burn up in the fire before morning. So the meal would be a reminder of the people's slavery. They were going to eat bitter herbs to remind them of the bitter life of being slaves. The unleavened bread was to remind them that they don't have time to wait for the bread to rise. You create bread so that you could eat it quickly. Quick. They ate standing up with their staffs in their hand and their overgarments tucked into their belts and their sandals on their feet. They are ready to roll. They're ready to go. At a moment's notice, it's time to go. We're ready to go. This night was the night of their deliverance. They'd been looking forward to it for 430 years. God would come, and here he is. The night is the night of salvation. Tonight, this night, when they're sitting around, this was when they're finally going to be free. And so they needed to be ready. They're not in their pajamas, right? They don't, they're not sitting around. They are ready to go. I believe this is a picture for when Christ returns. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready to go to eternity? We don't need to be sitting around in our pajamas. We need to be ready to go. We need to have our life ready. We need to be prepared. We need to have all relationships ready to go. Like I've already done all my business. I am ready to go. And when the family saw the blood, or when God saw the blood on the doorpost, death would pass over. The firstborn in the family would be saved. God provides a lamb as the means of forgiveness for sins. A blood substitute was always required, always, from the very beginning to the very end. A blood substitute. And God always provided the lamb. Let's look at this. I want to take us through a couple of passages to kind of flesh this out. That a blood substitute has always been required. Let's go all the way back to Genesis with Cain and Abel. Remember, Cain and Abel come before the Lord to present their offerings. Right? It says this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. He didn't accept it. I'm not going to accept this. It's not, this is not according to what I have told you needs to happen. So Cain was angry, and his face fell. Abel brought the lamb of his offering. It was accepted. Cain's fruit from the field was not. God was, I, we don't have this in the Bible, but I believe, it's, I believe God is very clear because we can look at other places where he says, this is what I want to happen. And we either follow that or we don't. So I believe that he had given Cain and Abel instructions on when they come before him, this is how it's going to go out. This is how you're supposed to do it. Cain tried to take a shortcut. He's like, I don't really want to give my, my animals. That's of more value to me. I really don't care about some apples and some oranges. I'll give that. And that doesn't work. In Genesis 22:7, the story that some of you may even studied in uh, Sunday school today, is the story of Abraham and Isaac. 
Okay, so God goes to Abraham and goes, I want you to sacrifice your one only son, Isaac. And so Abraham gathers his materials, he goes to the mountain, and then as they're going up, Isaac is looking around and he's like, okay, so I see this and I see this, but something's missing. What's missing? Let's look, right? It says, and Isaac came to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. Isaac knew what was required to properly worship before the Lord. A lamb was required. A sacrificial lamb was required. He knew it was missing. What he didn't realize was that he was the sacrificial lamb. Is that he was the one that had to lay down on the altar. And so then what happens with Abraham takes the knife, right? And he goes to sacrifice his son. What happens? Right? The angel calls out. He goes, stop. And sure enough, what's in the thicket? A substitute. A lamb. A substitute for his son. So he takes the lamb. Isaac gets off the altar. And they sacrifice the lamb. A substitute. The substitutionary atonement. This idea of a covering that's done by a substitute because its blood is shed goes all the way throughout the Bible. Drew, that's Old Testament. Well, we're going to get to some New Testament. But let's look at Leviticus 16. In Leviticus 16, there's a lamb that's required uh, to on the Day of Atonement. There's a whole day dedicated to this idea of Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. On this day, the lamb atoned for the entire nation. And so the consistent message of the Bible is that anyone who wants to meet God must come on the basis of the Lamb that He has provided. Later, when Jesus is walking before John the Baptist, do you remember what John the Baptist says? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. It's amazing. It's theologically significant that Jesus was crucified right at the time the Passover feast. It helps us to, to make the connection between this first Passover and the last Passover, which we call the Passion. This Passion of Christ. The day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he's riding, there would have been all of these thousands of lambs that would have been going along. They'd been driven into the city for the sacrifice of the feast. They would have, bam, bam, bam. You would have heard them all over the place. The day Jesus made his triumphal entry, they all would have been there. And Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. It was a celebration of the Passover. And in, that, in, the, in the Last Supper, in the Lord's Supper, he says, This is my body, this is my blood, which has been shed for you. The disciples didn't understand it at the time, but what Jesus was saying is, This Passover is all about me. Everything about the Passover pointed to Jesus. I am the sacrificial lamb. And when Jesus hung on the cross at around 3 p.m., that's the very time that the lambs all over the city would have been slaughtered for that upcoming Passover meal. All of it points to Jesus. Let's go back to Exodus. Verse 13. The blood shall be assigned for you 
on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, the blood that was shed by these slaughtered animals, they wiped on the doorpost, it meant something had died. Right? That's the whole point of the blood, is that something had died, a lamb had died in their place. If they would follow the word of God and take the lamb, slaughter it, wipe the blood upon the doorpost, that act of faith would save them or save their firstborn child. By placing it on the door, it was an act of faith. So I want you to imagine your firstborn child. This is the death of the firstborn. At some point, there would have had to have been a gathering. So Moses goes and he talks to the elders, right? He goes, guys, this is what needs to happen in the next series of hours. These guys would have gotten their instructions. And then the elders would have gone all over the city to their areas of responsibility and given out these instructions. We've got to do this. Make sure you don't do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. This is what Moses said. This is what God's word says. Do this. They gave them instructions. And they would have gone in. And they would have, then they would have gotten their, their animal. They would have gotten their lamb. The family would have gotten their lamb. Four days. Four days before the Passover, they had their lamb. Their lamb without any blemishes, without any, was, it was healthy. They would have taken the lamb and they would have brought it into the house. Why would they bring it into the house? Well, Drew, obviously you don't want it to get injured or damaged or you got to make sure it's taken care of because this is the lamb you got to have because in four days. So yeah, the part of it was protection, but they could have protected it outside. Why bring it in? Why bring it in? Imagine you're the firstborn child. My belief is, is that a lot of dads probably would have said, hey, look, for the next couple of days, I need, this is your job. I need you to watch over this. I need you to water it. I need you to feed it. Don't name it. Just trust me on this one. I think a dad probably would have said something like, don't get too attached to this animal. But it's in the house, right? You know these kids would have been hugging on it and naming it and this is, you know, whatever. And then sure enough, the day comes. And they got to take the animal outside. And dad takes his knife. And he grabs that, that lamb. He goes under the throat. And he goes, whoosh. Dad, what are you doing? Dad, that's, that's whatever the name is. Like, that's, that's, why, why, why'd you kill the lamb? The son if I don't kill this lamb, you don't make it. You don't survive. Here's a video that I came across. So what do you want to eat? What, what kind of food do you want to eat? Anything's on the table, but not animals. Why do you feel sorry for animals? Because they're nice. And, and, I, know, and I know that we cook them sometimes, which is not very nice. And I know we like um, to eat animals that we cook, but that's not nice for them. It's not nice for them. No, it's not nice for them. Not nice for them. Why did Jesus come and live amongst us? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus could have just showed up one day and said, I'm the Messiah. I'm here. I'm going to save you. And then the next day he dies on the cross and all of that. Why live amongst us for 30 years? 
well, Drew, he needs to talk, he needs to teach, and he needs to, you know, prove that he's the Messiah, and he needs to do miracles, and he does all of those things. I think there's also another piece of it. I think there needs to be a point when we realize that this man is going to die because of my sin. Now, he's not just a guy. This is my friend, right? Those disciples loved Jesus, right? He lived among them. They were friends. They were, they were brothers. They had lived life together. And so that when he died, it had a life-changing effect. When this child saw this lamb in the household and then began to realize that's not right for an innocent lamb to have to die so that I could live. The connection is the sin. We are sinners. And Christ died for us so that we don't just run into more sin. Like, we, there's this connection. Like, that's not right for Jesus who never sinned to have to die this horrific death so that I, who am a sinner, can be forgiven of my sin. There's a gravitas. There's a weight there to the sin. And so when these children and the parents, and they go through this, and they did it every year, every year it would repeat again and again and again, the slaughter and the blood and the, the process and the remembering. Why all the fuss? Because our sin is huge, important. It's a big deal. This is the Passover lamb. The lamb that they would grow to care for was going to be slaughtered. So then, once that happens, then it's important to remember this the thing that has happened look at verse 14 this day shall be for you a memorial day oh we gotta do this again yeah again and again and again and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever and you shall keep it as a feast seven days you shall not you shall eat unleavened bread on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses for it if anyone eats of it of what is leavened for the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Is that an important deal? Yeah, it's kind of important. Because if you do it, you're going to be cut off. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. And therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leavened bread is to be found in your homes. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Is it important? Yes, they'll be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land, doesn't matter. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. So the Passover meal was to serve as a memorial of the shed blood of a sacrificial lamb. They were to remember how God led them to freedom. And God gives them very specific instructions about how this memorial day was to be carried out. To ignore these instructions was to lead a person to be cut off 
from the congregation of Israel. To fail to observe the day, to change the details of the day, to be casual about how you celebrate the day, would lead you, the next generation to failing to understand the meaning of Exodus. Can you imagine how easy it would be for parents to go, I really don't want to do the whole blood thing again. Let's just kind of not do that. And bitter herbs, those aren't very fun to eat. Let's switch that out with some Oreos, right? And we can switch this out and we can change this and we can make this whole thing so much more pleasant. But what happens to the next generation? They don't get it. They don't understand it. Doesn't make any sense to them. Why are we eating Oreos and, and you know, fried chicken on whatever? It means nothing, right? It means nothing. And so he says, no, I'm going to give you specific details. And you have to carry them out exactly like what I'm saying. Also, Christ is coming. Christ is coming. And each generation that goes by is looking forward to his coming. What will he be like and why will he die the way that he will die? Why does he have to go through exactly, exactly what the New Testament says? Because the Old Testament says this is what he's coming. He's going to be the sacrificial lamb. And you have to understand these details are important. You can't change the details. You can't make it be what you want it to be. It has to be what God's word says. Don't change it. You follow it and do it exactly like he says. When the Savior comes, they'll understand. We have the blessing of the New Testament. We are also given a memorial meal. With the Last Supper, we're told to remember of Jesus' sacrifice was made during the Passover festival. It happened this way for a reason. So just like the Passover was to remind God's people of Exodus, the Last Supper would remind Christians of what God has done for us, he says, do this in remembrance of me. It all points to Jesus. To change the details, to fail to do the festival the way it's described is very serious. The consequences are severe. And so all of these details are there for a reason. To point to a Savior who sacrificed himself for the salvation of the world. Each detail in Exodus is pointing to the eventual Savior who not only gives freedom but eternal life. God wants us to have a relationship with him, but you can't just come to him anyway because we are sinners and he is holy and we have to approach him the way that he describes. And so he tells us in his word, how do we approach the one true holy God? This way. There has to be the shed blood of a sacrifice. That we have to go through the exact details. That's how we approach the one living God. Verse 28. Then the people of Israel went out and they did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And so Moses calls the elders together. He walks them through all these things that have to happen, how this meal has to repeat it every year, and how to instruct the future generations. And look how the people responded in verse 28. Right? He's given the instructions. How do they respond? Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They did what God's word says. And what happens? They are saved. When you take God's word and you put your faith in his word and you do what his word says, you will be saved. When you live this life the way that you think is best and you change God's word to be what you think is right, and you, keep, and you, you will not be saved because you are not being, you're not following the word of God. Salvation is very specific. This is how you are saved, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We put our faith in what Christ did on the cross, that's how you are saved. 
no other means. And so they showed their faith in God by putting the blood on the door, going inside, not coming back out. They celebrated the meal as described. They believed and followed God's word. They were saved. Look at verse 50. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. They were delivered. They left. They were free. You want to be free of your sin? You want to be free of this weight and bondage and stuff that you carry around? God has given you specific way, the only way to be forgiven of your sin is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Putting your faith in that. But there's also, lastly, consequences for belief and there's consequences for unbelief. Look at verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said. Be gone. And bless me also. It's an interesting thing that he wants to be blessed. The exodus of Israel and the death and destruction of Egypt is a picture of salvation. Don't miss that. If you are not a Christian, God is calling you to salvation to trust him, to believe that one has been sacrificed to pay your penalty, to bear your burden, to save you from God's judgment for your sins. That's the message of the Passover account has for us. There is a substitute whose blood was shed for you. And if you'll put your faith and trust in that, you will be saved. We all deserve God's judgment, even as God judged the Egyptians. We all have rebelled against God, but God in his great love caused his punishment to fall on Christ, not on us. The Son of God voluntarily laid his life down for us, that if we would trust him and repent, we turn from our sins, Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. The lamb was without defect, became our substitutionary sacrifice, if we will repent and believe. The word is presented to us. This is what you must do to be saved. Put your faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Have you done that today? The Israelites took a lamb, they slaughtered it, and they wiped its blood on their homes. What do we do today to be saved? Years later, Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to voluntarily lay his life down. He's going to rise again three days later. What must we do to be saved? Believe on the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I pray for the people in this room, maybe people that would later hear this message. Lord, there may be a sense of doubt that they have. Could be your Holy Spirit working in their heart. and Like, I'm not sure that I am saved. I think I've been trying to do this thing in my own effort. I've been trying to be a good person. I've been trying to, to do the, just be good. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. Because it all comes down to, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and his shed blood that was on the cross? That's it. If you would like to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. 
And you can say a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, just say it to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. Dear Jesus, I admit to you right now that I am a sinner. I understand that that sin separates me from you. I understand that your wrath is poured out upon sin. But instead of pouring it out on me, you poured it out on Jesus while he was on the cross. And Lord, he did that as a gift. And I would like to receive that gift, to be forgiven of my sin. I believe what Jesus did. I, I put my faith and trust in him. I turn from my sin. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our praise team is going to come. Miss Carol Ann is going to be leading us in a song of invitation. I'm going to be standing here at the front. Uh, if you would like to come and pray with me about anything, you can. You could always welcome to come to the sorry and and yeah, and uh, to the front. But don't let this moment pass you by to be forgiven of your sin and to pray to receive Christ.